Hey everybody and welcome back to the TV Talk Machine Wabi Sabi version. If you uh, have any understanding of Japanese aesthetics you probably know what Wabi Sabi means but if not it's basically sort of the accept, you know, accepting beauty and its imperfection and having things that are unfinished and not perfect. Um, things that are impermanent, incomplete, uh, temporary perhaps which perfectly describes trying to relaunch this podcast and hitting a few snags along the way, but we're almost there. Um, it's been some uh, corporate issues, I guess, uh, but we're going to get there, and I decided that um, I would do a short one now to sort of bridge the gap because there's a lot of stuff to talk about that are on that's on people's mind, and first of all, I, there's a couple things to talk about, but the first one I want to talk about is Homeland. And, you know, if you follow any of my work at The Hollywood Reporter, you know that I thought the first season was great. Uh, I still believe that. But I also believe that the first season was probably a fluke based on what we've seen in the second season and now the beginnings of the third season. And I've written about this at uh, THR.com. You can find it under the Bastard Machine uh, tag there and or search the site and you'll find it pretty easily. And, you know, I, I hate to sort of revisit the issue because I've kind of stepped on this uh, a lot. I, I, I was stepping all over the Homeland issue last year, and I know that that pissed a lot of people off at Showtime, but that's just how it goes. And this year, I came out with an, another article that, that, that basically said, you know, maybe the first season was a fluke, and the best way that we can look at this show from here on out is just considered entertainment and not consider it a series that is vying to be in the top tier of quality dramas. If you look at it that way, maybe it takes a little bit of the the pressure to criticize it away. But I do want to address what happened last week because I think that it was I really did like the first two episodes and I know that a lot of people are um frustrated with the kids and particularly Dana. Um, but I actually kind of liked the fact this year, bear with me here, Dana haters. I kind of liked the fact this year that they were getting into the fact that Dana, you know, had a hard time that her father was a now a renowned terrorist who killed a number of people or is accused of killing a number of people. And, you know, not only did she want to change her name in the last episode, but uh, prior to that, I think the realism was that she was having a really hard time with it. She tried to commit suicide. She was in an institution and got out. That, to me, is fine. Obviously, they have, they have no idea what to do with Dana's brother. Um, but then they took it one step too far where Dana and her boyfriend went on a road trip. And he was apparently uh, a mysterious killer who killed his brother and all this kind of nonsense. And it's just the typical homeland issue of it's stretching out a story that can't be stretched out and a couple of things that were really frustrating to me in this last episode um and this will go up before sunday so we can see how they address those but first of all uh i guess we're we should all be pretty happy that dana is apparently off the series uh, it was a clunky way for her to leave the series. She changes her name and then runs away with a random friend slash roommate. And her mom doesn't know what to do with it, but basically says, sure, 
And the brother, who at this point is one of my favorite characters because he's absolutely stone-faced. Um, and I've said on Twitter before that whatever sedatives that guy's taking, I want some. And he's just zen. Either that or he's a psychopath and has no real emotions. But he's a forgotten actor, and he just was sort of watching her leave. Luckily, she came back and gave him a hug, so that was the writers not missing yet another emotional beat of what what and how actual people really act. But, so, the Dana story is stupid, <clears throat> but hopefully that's gone. Um, but let's get to Carrie. I mean, seriously, um, the issue that I had uh, and wrote about at The Hollywood Reporter was the whole notion that, even though I liked the first two episodes a lot, because I, I thought it was bold that they didn't have Brody involved, and I thought they were getting back to the roots of the first season where it was basically spies and terrorists and not a whole bunch of love story between Carrie and Brody. The problem, of course, now well documented, is that Carrie was supposed to be in on this ruse the whole time. They were tricking uh, the, the Iranians into thinking that Carrie was going to turn, and everything that we saw in the first three episodes, or whatever, uh, was false. And you can go back to THR.com and, and read my piece about how detailed I got into why that was basically serious hackery on the part of the Homeland writers. It didn't make any sense. She was clearly acting when the camera... It was just a trick of camera. She was she was acting when she didn't need to be acting because no one was around her. Um you know, it's just cheap storytelling. It's using the camera um, as a way to to faint and dodge when you don't need to. It's just basically you, tricking the viewer because you haven't done anything on the writing end to make any, any sense of the story. So that was really almost the opt-out moment for me in Season 3. But now we have... Carrie's ongoing story. I guess she's not crazy, but now she's pregnant. And really, I mean, that is... We are hitting soap opera territory here, right? I mean, they just don't know what to do with the story. And I think this is probably a good time to, to ask this question. Where is Brody? You know, it's a total... It's a total... Where's Waldo moment? He, he was obviously in the third episode. We know we know where he is. Uh, he's in Caracas. We, we don't actually know why he's down there or what's going to happen. They've kept him separate. But here we go. Instead of just dealing with him, and again, not to hammer this home, but really every episode proves that Homeland was, was a premise better used for a British model where you're, you're in and out in 8 to 13 episodes. You tell a full, full story, and, and then you're gone. Because it totally went off the rails in the second season, and here it is completely floundering after I thought it was going to make a turnaround in, in season 3. But now you've got Carrie. So Brody's gone. Now you've got Carrie. You've got to make a story for Carrie, because now, of course, she's not crazy, but she's still got not taking her meds. She's still got issues there, which they're not really addressing. But this whole... Is Carrie pregnant? She obviously is pregnant. Did you really have to go in that direction? Why choose that storyline? Is that is that why people watch Homeland to to have Carrie 
suffer one of her quote unquote bad decisions that she made in a drunken, possibly pill fueled stupor in her depression. So now she's pregnant. Is that the storyline we want to watch? I mean, Homeland at its best was not just the, is he or is he not a terrorist, but it's spy versus spy. It's international terrorism and the, how the CIA is meant to stop it. And that's the story. It's not a love story between Carrie and Brody. And it's, I hope to God, it's not a, a story about pregnant Carrie. And we're meant to believe that if she's not crazy, right, we have to rule that out now, even though we've, we've seen her throwing the pills down the, the drain. But the, the, the trickery that they used on Homeland is to say that she was in it with Saul. They went to this elaborate ruse to, to pull in the, the Iranians to try to turn her. If we're to believe all of that, then Carrie basically has her wits about her. So if that's true, why is she stacking up these... Uh, uh, pregnancy sticks in her drawer. I mean, that's just, that's just basically when she opened that drawer to show us a drawer full of pregnancy sticks, you might as well have had a box of hammers in there. That's how, that's how obvious it was. Or like, why don't you just open the drawer and have a gigantic anvil in there? Okay. So Carrie's freaking out that she's pregnant. So she keeps putting these pregnancy sticks that she pees on, sticks him in the drawer, it's got the plus sign. What is that going to tell you? That she's just hoping that one day one of them is going to be a minus and she's not pregnant? She's too smart for that. That's what we're led to believe, that she's one of the smartest uh, officers in the CIA. She's, she's, she's a, an operative in the field who who's keenly intelligent about a number of things. Why does she have to be so stupid about this? It's just a dumb way to go. Um, and then you have the Saul issue. I, I kind of like the Saul issue because we're learning about Saul. Is Saul who I think it should be the rock of season three, and I'm hoping that he still will be. Um, but there's issues with him too. I mean, his, the thing with his wife, really? This is where Homeland is, is, in my opinion, really messing up. I get that his wife comes back at the it's for the start of season three after she just sort of disappeared because Saul's having, he's working too hard. Now she comes back after the bombing at Langley because she's going to comfort him. I like the fact that they're having issues, right? They're not even in the same bedroom. I like the fact that Saul can't make up his mind. That was a good way to go. That was a pretty good storyline. Milk that for a little bit. Don't drop in... Saul has this ultra dramatic personal problem because his wife met somebody when she was in Mumbai and now he's come back for dinner and he, Saul came home unexpectedly and here's this guy having dinner in his in his house and then when in the last episode when Saul presses her about it she comes out with this basically childish soap opera act reaction that says because he makes me happy all the time. He makes me laugh. I want, I'm happy to be around him. Okay, great. Put that on another show. Don't put that on Homeland. So that's, to me, that's not making any sense. So the Dana story hopefully is over, and that's a stray. The Carrie story being Carrie pregnant is soap opera personified. And now you have Saul's wife, and she's 
soap opera per personified. If that's going to be this whole, we don't care so much about Saul's, I guess, soapier aspects of his home life. I care that he's messed up. I care that he is uh, perhaps drinking too much because the decisions he has to make are getting to him. I like to have a screwed up home life, but you can have that screwed up home life and keep it static. Keep it screwed up. Don't ratchet it up by, you know, creating this love triangle, for God's sake. And then so going into Sunday, we really kind of have to figure out where this is going. Um, we have a number of characters whose motivations we're not quite sure about. Um, I, I, I think that the, the guy who plays the CIA director is so over the top. It's, you know, he's so over the top and evil that it's, that it's turning me off. Um, and we just have, you know, F. Murray Abraham's character is, uh, it's not, is not, is not getting there yet. You know, is, are we to trust him? Are we to not trust him? And, you know, I just think that the show has lost its way. And last week had some of the weaker, the weaker, the weakest writing I've seen or heard in a while. And I just think it doesn't know what to do with itself. And the problem is that at the end of the second season, the writers should have taken notice of complaints. And trust me, Showtime is more than aware of the complaints from people like you. And they wanted to get this kid's story over quickly. I have no idea what that means now for the son. Maybe he'll just like fall off a cliff or something. But the Dana story is over. That's just basically minutes lost, right? If you go back through all this stuff at the White House and you know, falling in love with the vice president's son and all. I mean, this is just minutes sucked out of a series where if you're not actually going to use a character well, and granted, it's really hard to write compelling stories around children and child actors, even teen actors, because that's kind of not what we're watching the show about. So I think moving forward, it's going to be a very difficult task for Homeland to turn it around and save itself because it's 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 just given us too many clues that it that the writing room doesn't know where it, what it's doing or worse it does know what it's doing because it's creating the show it wants to create but that show is not the show that people fell in love with in season 1 so at this point i'm i'll probably follow the season through the end but Boy, did it really go off the rails at the end of the second season. Um, I've said this before. Again, you can check the archives. The DNA of the writers on Homeland dates back to 24. 24 was nothing but escapist drama. Should have never, ever been nominated ever for an Emmy for Best Drama. Um, it became cartoon-like. It became a, a show that you can build a drinking game around. It became one of Fox's favorite comedies. I'm perfectly fine if you enjoyed 24 and just sat back on the couch passively and let it wash over you and it was entertaining and Jack Bauer, you know, beat everybody's ass up and snapped their necks and whatnot. That's fine. 
But if you want to play in the big leagues, if you want to be considered in the same conversation, and Homeland does, that's my problem here. If you want to be considered in the same conversation as The Wire and Breaking Bad and Mad Men and Sopranos and all the great cable dramas, which I think, by the way, it's too late for Homeland to even be in that discussion. But if you want to play in that field, you got you have to do better. And unfortunately, it's just not. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's my frustration. I feel your pain. I know a lot of people have uh, written me emails and talked to me on Twitter about their frustration about this season and should they give up. And you know that's your choice. I just think that I may transition into watching Homeland now as just a second tier or below series where I just want some entertainment and. You know, I fear that when they bring Brody back, which at this point, I'm dying to have him back. Last year, I was dying to get rid of him because he should have, shouldn't have been around so long. Um, I'm dying to have him back because I want to see what the hell happens. But I'm very worried that it's just going to be 24 on steroids. All right, so that's my quick recap and rant about Homeland. And I'm going to keep this podcast short because... I only have one more topic to discuss, but I did want to remind everybody that who's hung in there with me that um, the TV Talk Machine podcast will return in it in in the incarnation of which I want it, which is basically much more interviews, and um, I will be talking with Allison Keene, who does a lot of the the unscripted criticism for the the Hollywood Reporter. Um, but I do want to have a lot of interviews with people I, uh, in the business that I like, I'll have them on, but I'm also going to keep it, um, Wabi Sabi. Like I said at the beginning, I think that there's no perfect podcast. The, the sort of perfect ideal that I had for this newly re- recreated, this reimagined, if you will, version of, uh, the TV talk machine podcast was probably too ambitious and I should, um, have never gone that route and just uh, been open to a looser, more wabi-sabi version where sometimes there can be a 10 or 15-minute podcast, 20-minute podcast. Sometimes there can be an hour if I have a really good guest. Sometimes there is no guest and it's just Allison and I. So I wanted to be able to have all these incarnations and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. But I will tell you that um, um, I am dealing with the people at SoundCloud. We're going to get a pro account. We're going to get this thing up and promoted. It'll be available on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher, and uh, we can go from there. Okay, lastly, I just want to go through this. This might take a minute or two, but I recently did a column. In fact, yesterday, that would be Wednesday, I posted a column at the um, Hollywood Reporter about network shows. Emphasis, Emphasis there on network shows, not cable shows, and emphasis on freshman series. Because the crop is out, and I and I did a story about okay, we enough enough episodes have gone by, enough time and weeks have gone by that we can really judge these these uh, these shows on their own. And did they make my DVR cut list, or did they not? And for me, that's essential. I've got a couple of DVRs with a lot of storage, uh, as you may imagine. I watch a lot of stuff. Um, so to get on that list is difficult because once you're on it. That just makes a lot of work for me because it stacks up all these episodes after every episodes. And, you know, at some point when I catch up 
that we will probably see the return of the power rankings. But for this new um, rush of shows that came in starting in September, here's my current evaluation of who made the list and who didn't make the list. So bear with me. First of all, the sitcom Mom on CBS didn't make it. No go. Hostages on CBS, the drama. I really loved the pilot. I thought it was sort of fantastic in its own way, although at the time I thought, okay, dubious a dubious premise that was probably better for a two-hour series. And it turns out I was right because now Hostages is the most annoying thing in the whole world. I feel like that I feel like that drama has, has captured me in my room, living room and I'm a hostage to the series because I want it to break out and be better. I'm still watching it, but it's very, very near to fall off the list. The Blacklist. How about that? The Blacklist on NBC I, I, is definitely a full season order on my DVR. And yeah, I have problems with it. I have quibbles with it. Um, there's just so much exposition. And just for clarity's sake, because I know people are like, what, that show? I mean, James Spader's great, but the writing is not up to par. Everything's a little bit obvious. I would say that they have their up and downs uh, creatively as far as the plot goes. And they definitely do too much um, exposition. But this is how I look at it. There is no great broadcast show. Not in my book, there's not. There's very good network dramas, but there's not a great one in the bunch. And yes, I know that Parenthood and The Good Wife, stuff like that, are, are, are pretty close in some people's books. But they're not, for me, That's those are not great dramas. Uh, they're very good dramas, but not great dramas. So my standard is, when it comes to broadcast network dramas, is to just... You know, entertain me in a way that keeps me engaged, isn't too overly asinine and insulting. That's all I really ask. And that's why I two of my favorite broadcast shows are um, Elementary on CBS and also Person of Interest on, on CBS. I look forward to watching those every week, as I do The Blacklist, despite some of its faults. And so I'm going to keep that going. Sleepy Hollow on Fox definitely gets a full season pass on my DVR, basically because, as I said in my initial review, the weirder and dumber and, and more bizarre it gets, the more I like it. It's completely escapist entertainment, and I think that when it gets paired with um, Almost Human in a week or so, then that'll be a really good double hour on Fox, because I gave Almost Human a very good review after seeing the first hour, the first pilot, and if it can keep up the promise of the pilot, and, and believe me, it's full-on sci-fi. You just kind of that's again, you have to when you have a genre series, you you're either all in or you're not. And you know, let's bring it. I want to see more. I want to see more sci-fi on on the uh, broadcast network. So uh, I'm all in right now on Almost Human. I reserve the right to bail out if it gets crazy. But I think um, once Bones goes off the schedule for a little bit, and you've got Sleepy Hollow and Almost Human going, it's going to be great. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC is hanging by the very thinnest of threads uh, on my list. Because it's still on my DVR, but I find that it's just not a very compelling series. And I'm not sure how many more weeks I can, I can stick with it. The Goldbergs, that's the ABC, basically, wonder, 80s version of the Wonder Years. 
<clears throat> with lots of yelling as people point out. You know what? I think that's the point. I love the yelling. This is a yelling family, and I'm a fan of yelling. So, and I like I love Jeff Garland. So that for me is uh, one of the better freshman series, freshman comedies this year, and it definitely gets a, is getting a full season pass on my DVR. Trophy Wife. I'm also on ABC. I guess I'm not as into it as a lot of other critics, critic friends of mine. But it's good. It's a good series, and I watch it. And um, it's it's definitely not going to get deleted so far. Dads is, I think, one of the worst shows of the fall. I've said that many, many times. It's offensive. It's racist. It's stupid. It's broad. It has a laugh track. It's uh, a major, major mistake on Fox's part. No matter what anybody tells you, Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, which is on the same night, is definitely, definitely. A full season pass. I think the I think Brooklyn Nine Nine is my favorite freshman comedy, and the Goldbergs is close second. And both of those I can watch and enjoy watching um, every week. You know, it's just an, as an aside. I think that one of my, my philosophy is that broadcast television, the networks, do comedy very well, um, maybe even better, or in 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 many cases than than cable does. Whereas the reverse, as I just said, is really all the great, great dramas are either on ad-supported cable or pay cable. The originals on the CW. As I said in my story, you should know better. I'm not going to watch that. Super Fun Night. Um, I was really hoping that was going to work, and it hasn't. And all I can tell you is that when Conan O'Brien and the cast were on stage at the Television Critics Association Summer Press Tour... They were funny. They were engaging. They were, they were exactly what you want to see in a show, except that has never, not once, translated into the half hours that we've seen so far. So it's not making the cut. Super fun night, on, not on my show. The Tomorrow People, um, I would say go ahead and look that up, the review I gave for CW, because it's uh, incredibly, incredibly stupid. and But funny, I do watch it when I need a laugh. Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, there's a little bit of history on this show with me and uh, with some people at ABC because, you know, they had only showed us 20 minutes for the longest time. Just 20 minutes of random cuts of the series. It looked promising, certainly better than the original version on uh, on Sunday. I kind of wanted to, I like this Alice. I like the story of Alice in Wonderland. And I thought, well, you know, it's going to be 90% CGI, so let's let's have some fun with it. They didn't get it up in time for me to review it for the in full for the Hollywood Reporter, so I posted my review of the twenty minute clip and said, "You know, damn, this would have been great if I, we could have seen more." Uh, and later that day, after it went up, they put the rest of it up, and I just said, "Nope, too late. I'm not going to fix it now." So, um, despite my personal issues with ABC and how they deal with the media, which is not not well. I do like what I've seen so far with Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. And again, it's slight, but it's fun. I'm going to keep it on the, the, the DVR. The caveat being shows like that can really fall off quickly. But for me, that's one that's, that's going to stick. Uh, the Millers, look, I love pretty much everybody involved in that show, but I just can't. I just cannot. So that's not on there. The Crazy Ones, not a show that I liked. Even the pilot. That's not on there. That's a CB, another CBS show. Sean Saves the World. I love the fact that uh, Sean Hayes came out and bitched about NBC, his own network, biting the hand that feeds him, 
basically said his is the funniest show on television and people just aren't getting it. It would work better on CBS, to which I say to Sean, no, it would not work better on CBS because it's not funny. Not at all. The Michael J. Fox Show, another freshman comedy on, on NBC. Look, I tried. I really did. Um, I just, uh, as I said in, the, in the, my review, uh, the hook didn't get set, nor did the DVR. And I wanted the Michael J. Fox Show to work. I find some of the humor troubling, just like um, Super Fun Night. You're, the premise of the humor is you're laughing at people. And I don't really want to, I mean, I get, I get it. I get the issue at hand on the Michael J. Fox show. It just makes me uncomfortable to laugh at it. Rain, R-E-I-G-N on the CW. Uh, all I said there was don't be stupid. It is one of the stupid, stupidest historical dramas ever, but I'm not a 16 year old girl. So maybe that's partly why I don't like it. Late in the game, we got um, Dracula from NBC. And, you know, it's fine. I just don't think we need vampires anymore. My review of Dracula was, why? In a nutshell, it was a one. It was more than a one-word review. But for your purposes, why? Uh, I think vampires are over. Dracula being the king of all vampires. I'm just kind of done with it. Um, although I do like Jonathan Reese Myers a lot. I think it's kind of funny, though, that he's an American industrialist, basically, with this echo green theme that runs through it, and that part makes me laugh. But it's not something that I'm going to... I'll watch it if it's on and I have nothing else to do, which is very super rare since there's so much television, we're all drowning in it. But it's not something that made the list um, on my DVR. Obviously, Rain did not either. And uh, lastly, and I'm not covering any of the shows that have already been canceled, but lastly... Betrayal on CBS is just so mundane and so pedestrian. I never liked the pilot. It never, ever had a chance to um, get on the DVR. And, um, and that's how it should be. Getting on anybody's DVR should be something that's earned. You know, we, I've said this many times. We live in a, a time when there is an inordinate amount of great television. Stuff coming from... These shores coming from England, coming from Ireland, and by that I mean Moon Boy, coming from France. If you haven't seen The Returned uh, on currently airing on Sundance Channel, I highly recommend it every Thursday, the, the initial, the initial um, episode is on iTunes for free right now. You know, there's, there's just so much good television coming from everywhere that time really is the precious commodity in the mix here. And that's the, that's the X factor on what, what makes a person choose a show. I mean, I have no problem if, with anybody choosing a show that just makes them, you know, want to laugh or to not think about their lives or their job for an hour or for half an hour. I totally get that. I have shows on my list, clearly, as I just read those that fit that category. But really, there's so many great shows that are out there, that are whether they're on Netflix or whether they're on Hulu or they're coming from BBC America or they're on our own networks. And, you know, you have to earn it to get on the DVR. And I reserve the rights, as I wrap this up, to drop any and all of these shows off. And, of course, a couple of the ones that are hanging by a, th a thread 
I guess, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, hostages in particular are probably going to drop off. But anyway, that's a, our current update as we head into, I guess I would say, the thinner days, the less cumbersome scheduling of holiday programming as we get into November and December. Things will kick off again super strongly in January as the nebulously formed mid-season begins. Uh, and there are a couple of interesting stuff, uh, series coming up on Showtime, but they're just sort of little bits. The onslaught of the fall is essentially over, and everybody can take a breath and evaluate what we've got out there and move on. And hopefully the next time you hear this TV Talk Machine podcast, uh, we will be up and running in our full glory on SoundCloud, and we'll have a number of great guests, and we will continue the Wabi Sabi format. And go look that up if you haven't already. Alrighty, everybody. Talk to you next time.